everybody, and welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford, author of four books on cycling, with a fifth one that's pretty close to being ready to, to hit publish on. I'm also a writer about all things fitness-related and lover of mostly all things fitness-related. And I'm Peter Glassford, uh, Molly's co-host. I am a kinesiologist, a cycling coach, and occasionally I race my bike pretty fast. It depends on my mood. I, I like to say that I'm a moderately good bike racer. So I do like all things movement, though, and that's the kinesiology part. And so that's sort of the underlying theme with this consummate athlete. We like to look at different sports and different performers, coaches, all sorts of things that will help us move in different ways, move better, move more. Um, and yeah. so that's why we're here. That's right. If you're new to the podcast, first of all, thanks for joining us. Second of all, uh, you know, for those of you who maybe haven't gotten to listen to all of the episodes or haven't been keeping up since we started this last May, uh, sometimes we talk to experts in different sports. So, you know, ultimate frisbee, golf, cross-country skiing, biathlon, all kinds of things like that. But then we also talk to people who kind of represent the actual idea of a consummate athlete, which is somebody who can kind of just jump into whatever sport comes their way. And then we also do episodes like this, where we're taking in some reader questions and we're kind of talking through some of the, uh, the stuff that's come up for us as far as athletics go. Uh, both of us have been kind of on the road for the past couple of months and working with a bunch of different people. So we've had a lot of kind of ideas for questions crop up. Yeah, different questions from my coaching clients or some of the, we had a junior camp all last month, uh, which was February. And so we were in cycling a lot last, last month on the road. So lots of questions from juniors who are trying to sort of sort out nutrition and sort of, you know, how to ride their bikes. And then also we're doing a bunch of strength training with them now because that's becoming more and more a part of sort of high performance sport. So, yeah, some good questions from them. And like I say, from some of my coaching clients and some of Molly's sort of contacts and people who are reading books like Saddle Sore um, and then also Molly's nutrition book. So lots of different things. So we're going to tie a few bit of that in today. But I thought I'd ask, you know, we're closing in. I don't know if we're at, closing in on a year, but we're not. We're a couple months away from a year, so that would be about, how many, 52? 52 will be in May. About 52 episodes, because I don't think we've missed one, or have we missed we one? We have not. We missed one but in we doubled, January. But we definitely doubled up on it. Absolutely. Week, so we'll be okay. We'll be okay. So Everything's we, fine. So that's exciting. I think we have some cool guests coming, some people who have really influenced me uh, over the years coming up in the next sort of month, so that would be for March. And mm-hmm. then, yeah, we're, we're always looking for more guests, though, for sure. So if you know someone, you know, especially someone who's not into cycling and can really expand our sports, we're looking for skateboarders and snowboarders. We're looking for some more water sports, I think. A kiteboarding expert would be awesome. Some more martial arts or... Uh... Hey, I still want to learn how to play darts or pool. Like, I want to be able to walk into a <laughs> bar and be a consummate athlete in the bar. Yeah, I think definitely pool is it would be an interesting one, just sort of how you interact with the, the pool table and don't ruin it. And yeah, just even play a game, I think. Yeah, so if anyone's a pool shark or knows one, that would be awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll even take competitive foosball. So that's on consummateathlete.com. We have a contact page. It's probably the easiest way unless you happen to know our emails or want a private message or, or just even tweet at us uh, that you have an idea. Um, I think the other thing we want to ask people to do is if you have been listening and you have been enjoying the show, if you would head over to iTunes and first of all, subscribe, but second of all, give us a rating, leave us a comment, anything like that, uh, that really helps us out. And then also wide angle podium is our supporting network, uh, our 
uh, podcast network and there's lots of other great cycling oriented podcasts through wide angle podium um so check over that's wideanglepodium.com i believe Mm -hmm. Um, and they have a page for us there and then also for those other podcasts and they also have a place you can donate uh, either just directly to our podcast or to the whole network uh, which helps keep us going and bumping up our audio quality all the time um yeah so you can check that out as well and check out those awesome podcasts absolutely all right so let's let's jump into the first question of just what are we up to because i feel like this month we're we're getting there with being consummate athletes we're doing okay yeah now that we're out of the the sort of cycling camp where it was sort of wake up in the morning and then ride all day or you know be in a van all day or help people ride all day um you know they sort of would kill the day so to speak um, so, you know, we did a, fit in some runs. I don't know. We get one swim in maybe in March. Um, that might even be a lie. I, we did not swim in February. I thought about some swimming and we'll talk about some of the stuff that I've been thinking about sort of because we're not able to swim a top bunch later on here. Um, but we did that. We did some running and then, like I say, we we're in the gym. So we were able to do the gym. I love it. It's in Buellton, California. Uh, I'm trying to remember what it was called. Can we give a show to them? Something sport. I think. Anytime sport? No, that's not it. No, sorry. Now you've just, like, put the shadow to, like, some giant chain. Yeah, apologies. Uh, anyhow, it's, like, the only gym in Buellton, and it's uh, it's quite good. They have a Jacob's Ladder machine, which is, like, a ladder treadmill. If you can think about climbing a ladder, but, like, it's a never-ending ladder, and it just goes faster the faster you sort of turn your arms and hands over, and it just ruins you, like, posterior <laughs> chain, so, like, your butt just is on fire, and, yeah, it's, you're just delirious. So I love machines like that. And yeah, they have they had an Olympic weightlifting platform. So I'm sort of working on, from the course I took, I think from our last uh, Q&A, I was talking about, I took an Olympic weightlifting course. So that's, I've been doing a lot of that. Um, oh, and actually your coach at that, Coach Clance, worked with me on an article I did for Nylon on strength training. So we'll have to link to that in the show notes because it's some of his kind of best wisdom for people getting into strength training. Yeah, if you haven't looked into Coach Clance, he's a pretty awesome guy. He trained uh, P.K. Subban, who's a hockey player, um, who's done quite well for himself. He was really big in Montreal, and now I can't recall what team he's moved to now, but anyhow, he's very fit, fit man, and uh, Coach Clance has helped him get there along with a lot of other athletes. Um, so if you just Google sort of Clance Taylor, you can, or Clance Layler or Taylor? Taylor, I believe. Layler performances, and it's definitely Layler with an L. Um, so anyhow, the gym we were at had an Olympic weightlifting platform, which was awesome, and so I could use my fancy Olympic weightlifting shoes and, and slam really loud on the hardwood floor. And yeah. And your favorite thing? Working on speed. Yeah. Because I don't have any. Yeah. Well, as for me, um, yeah, getting back here means more mountain biking for the first time in a while. I mean, even just February, getting on the road bike was huge for me because it's honestly been a while since i've been able to do a lot of volume on the bike given all the travel all fall mm-hmm. so that was super fun um now i'm starting to add in some bricks so going on short runs after my rides um, a lot more volume than i've maybe been used to in the past i think last week was 17 hours it's probably the first time i've done over like 14 maybe in probably a solid like seven months so what's that like? I mean, you get by pretty easily on your genetic ability, I think. I don't know how you do it sometimes. But, <laughs> but how have you found training more? Like, what have, what have been uh, your experiences? Well, Peter actually saw me almost cry when I looked at my schedule yesterday and realized that yesterday, where we swam for an hour, was actually my day off. 
Uh, and we'll get into that, I think, in one of the questions that we have. But uh, I definitely had a pretty emotional reaction to that because I thought today would be a day off. And instead, it was a two and a half hour mountain bike with some VO max intervals and then a short run after. And then I actually went to a CrossFit class tonight um, for an article I'm working on. They let me sort of sit in. So I tried really hard to not be an idiot and go in really deep on that. I, I kept it pretty pretty low key for there was a set of squats where every time you did it you're supposed to add between like 10 and 20 pounds um and there were like 10 sets so after adding 10 pounds the first time and the second time okay and the third time but then I stopped <laughs> so I had the bar and then like 20 pounds on each side so it wasn't ridiculous it was really small sets, but I knew I could do more weight and it was a pretty big struggle to not do that because I know I have a long ride tomorrow. So. What type of squat was it? A uh, back squat. And one, it was, you literally did two squats with the weight. It was one regular squat and then one where you paused at the bottom for like five seconds. Hmm. Um, yeah, it was interesting. But then the, the kicker was the, the main set was... 30 seconds of burpees, 30 seconds rest, 30 seconds of um, squatting down the weights like on your shoulders with mm -hmm. dumbbells and then popping back up, weights go all the way up, come it's back down. thruster. Yeah, thruster, sorry. Uh, doing that for 30 seconds and then 30 seconds of rest and it was 10 sets of that. Yeah, thrusters and burpees are it was pretty brutal but i realized you know i i remembered i'm not the only one in trouble on that so right. it was it was a really good experience i haven't gotten to go to a crossfit class in quite some time so it was, it was interesting uh beachside crossfit and you can we'll eventually link to the article i'm working on for that but i think it had some really really good stuff yeah that stuff's interesting i mean it's definitely sort of wild and has a bad reputation but the mental toughness you get from stuff like that, like the ability just to keep like one more time, like yeah. one more time, one more time. Okay, so I'm not going to lie. Well. We were supposed to do it 10 times and we got through nine and then one guy was just like, so that was 10 and just like goes and puts his weights away. And the guy that was running it had like gone over because we were running kind of late and he'd gone over to greet the people that were coming in for the next class. So everyone just kind of like awkwardly looked at each other and like, tiptoed with our weights over and put them away mm. so i feel like everyone was a little low on the mental toughness sorry nathan if you're listening yeah they the, cheated the group strength classes are definitely tough but anyhow well, anyhow that's, that's, that was cool that's good uh, so you're not having any epiphanies with your mountain bike training yet uh i think maybe throwing it in with a ton of volume is good for me because i completely forget that i'm still kind of a pansy and like a little scared of mountain biking because I'm just so like okay at least I'm not riding like a million hours on the road right now I just have to go up this really hard hill twice and I actually PR'd on Hell Hill in Sycamore Canyon today which put me I was so excited I'm not normally a Strava nerd but I'm I'm fifth overall for women on that hill now and I think I can get into like fourth or third by the end of this how fast is the leader faster than me yeah. <laughs> i'm not that much of a nerd that i know the times uh anyway uh speaking of swimming though you ordered a wetsuit yep slowly taking it off for this iron man lots of things to buy mm -hmm. i'd rather just ride my mountain bike and do it without anything but 
house. I don't want to be out there very long, so I have a triathlon bike and a wetsuit and some running shoes on the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so all good stuff, and we're in Oxnard for the third time out of the four winters that we've been together now, back in the same house. It's funny, uh, Peter is from Ontario, I'm from New Jersey, but we've spent the most time together in California since we met, despite the fact that we don't actually live out here. Uh, but it's like the one time of year where we're in one place for a few weeks at a time. This is true. I unpacked things into drawers. That was a pretty big deal. Yeah, it's definitely different being able to train with a bit of a home base, for sure. Yeah. It makes it easier. You get a bit of a routine. Yeah, and just much better recovery. I think that's probably what I'm realizing with adding so much volume. Yeah, traveling's not great for the, the immunity, which is a question we'll also cover. So yeah. Why don't we ease into the questions then? We can... Continue on with this never-ending banter as mm. we go through. Yeah, story of our lives. Uh, before we get into that, though, I wanted to talk about what we're both reading, since we're both reading pretty, like, sports-specific books. That was a great boomerang segue. Woo! Uh, <laughs> what was that? I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know. The sound a boomerang makes? Okay. We need to have a boomerang. If we know any boomerang experts, if any boomerang experts are listening to this. That is not the sound of a boomerang. I'm sorry, I'm not an expert. Anyway, I'm reading The Urban Monk by Pedram Shoji. This is probably like the fourth or fifth time I've read this book. I got it uh, as a review copy a couple years ago and did an article on him for Bicycling Magazine. I got to meet him and talk to him. Uh, it's a really, really cool book. He's the founder of uh, Well.org. He's a oriental medical or medicine practitioner. OMD, I think, is the initials for that. What does O stand for? I'm honestly not sure. Oh. But he spent a lot of time over in Asia, like, learning all of the different, like, Buddhist practices and all kinds of, like, natural medicine stuff as well. Mm -hmm. So just such an interesting guy. And the book really goes into all kinds of stuff, like, dealing with adrenal fatigue and you know, reducing stress in everyday life and just kind of leading a more mindful life. I know mindfulness is kind of a big buzzword right now, and this book was kind of one of the earlier versions of that, but it's written in such a way that you don't feel kind of talked down to or, I don't know, it's not like hippy-dippy stuff. It's really like real-world examples. Why is it called the Urban Monk? Uh, well, he was a monk. Oh, and then he's, he's come to the city. He now lives, I believe, actually in L.A. Seems like some sort of romantic comedy. It kind of does. Yeah, he's married with a kid. They're adorable. His family's gorgeous. Yeah. Um, he's super rad. He mountain bikes. He really likes hiking. Um, but yeah, it's about kind of adopting some of these practices that the monks that he's worked with, you know, do, i.e. the mindfulness and meditation and, you know, clean diet and trying to reduce time in cars and time sitting at desks and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but with kind of a no bullshit sort of take on things. Right. So we'll link to that because it sounds like a semi, I guess urban monk shouldn't be that hard to Google, but. Yeah, I'll also link to the article I, uh, I did on him for bicycling. And then I'm reading, uh, still working through, I mean, I've read a few other things over the last couple of months, but I've been working through with this triathlon stuff, the latest Joe Friel 
training bible for triathletes. Uh, it's completely updated and has a big section that's now been moved to the front on mental training. Um, as far as just like a training book, like if you're just wanting to learn more about coaching or learn more about sort of programming your own training, I would recommend almost getting this before even like a cycling or running specific one. Um, you know, not all the stuff's going to transfer, but just some of the concepts on laying out programming and periodization are just really, really well done. Um, it talks about block periodization, uh, reverse periodization. Um, I'm trying to think what else. The swimming stuff is really good in it too. Like he's got some good, super simple drills, sort of just admitting that you're a late onset uh, swimmer, I think is what the total immersion people call it, um, or adult onset swimmer and so just drills that you can do on the deck beforehand or if you're not able to get to a pool um, and then just sort of like four keywords that sort of make you swim well um, so like length would be one um, and just sort of what you do with your arms and so he's got a couple stances on stuff that people would I think like if you ever went to a swim coach with it they would disagree heavily but I don't know just reading it and then trying it in the pool it actually works I think pretty slick um, so yeah, so I would recommend that book for sure. Yeah, and I'll say as someone who read the, I think, 2007 edition, just cover to cover probably like 20 times when I was, you know, first getting into triathlon, uh, the new edition is probably double in size, and it seems, just from flipping through it, I haven't gotten to read it yet, um, seems really, really vastly different. So even if you've had the older version... Oh, it's a complete rewrite. Yeah. Definitely consider getting the uh, the new one. Uh, similarly, uh, if you've read my old version of Saddle Sore, you, you might also want to pick up the new version of that that was released in November on the topic of total rewrites on books. Mm -hmm. Shameless plug there. All right, let's get into some questions. Uh, how does one start training increased volume or increased intervals without burning out? Can you tell this is my question? <laughs> Yeah, it, it is your question. It's also, I mean, people ask sort of that question or, or should ask that question when they're starting pretty much I was say, I think we saw a lot of people last month that could have maybe asked that question. Um, yeah, I don't know if my answer would be the same to them. Like, I'm, I don't know that we're talking necessarily like a, like I guess if you're starting training and then going to a training camp, that would be maybe not the best idea because you're going to ramp up really fast. Um, so I think whenever you're talking about changing a habit, which is really what training is, is your habit of riding a bicycle or, you know, weightlifting or eating a certain way, you just want to be careful that you don't disrupt your normal habits too much. You know, some people do respond well to you know, like going cold turkey or, you know, just crazy lifestyle change, but sort of like with, you know, a grapefruit diet or cleanse or whatever, you can only do it for so long and then you're going to go back. And the problem is you haven't established a habit. So I think my best advice is to take what you usually do and just tweak it a bit. And so that's what I've even started doing with even like my sort of lowest level training plan clients is I get them to log a full week at least. And then I use that information of what they've actually done. You know, they go for a group run on Tuesdays and they go swim on Wednesday and, you know, then they run on their own always on Thursday or something. And then what I can do is I just go in and I basically copy what they did to the next week and then I just tweak it. 
and then we know sort of where they are. That would be maybe their point A. And then we know, okay, I need to get them ready for a marathon or to do some gravel grinder race or something like that in three months, six months, eight months. Then what we do is we just progress that. So it's sort of just slowly increasing. So Molly gave the example of her Hell Hill. So today she had two times up Hell Hill, which is different than what she normally does, but it's on a hill she's already going up, already knows, already has, and she just had to do it twice. So it's it's painful. It's not... It's called Hell Hill, for God's sake. <laughs> but it's not, you know, it's not cr- like hugely different. It's not going to a new place. It's not saying, oh, you don't ride mountain bikes anymore. You're just riding on the road. Um, you know, or you're running instead of riding or something on a different day. And so then that way it's not as disruptive. So I think what I would suggest is not going from zero to a hundred with your volume, with your intensity and just tweaking something. So again, that could be with nutrition, that could be with intensity, that could be with volume of training, Mm -hmm. but just taking what you're doing already and just, just tweaking it. Yeah. I will add, I was talking to uh, the guy at the CrossFit gym, the man who owns it, and I jokingly asked, like, so if I do CrossFit, do I have to be paleo? Uh, and he actually had a really good answer. Uh, in short, no. But he said, you know, a lot of people come in and seem to think that they need to, like, start CrossFit and also start going paleo and start just doing all of these major changes. And those are the people that are out after two weeks. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, you just can't do everything all at once. You can't completely shift your lifestyle. Yeah, and that's been my experience. The people that come to me who are just like off the wall with, you know, they insist they're type A's and they're, they want to do everything they can and they're do, eating super clean and they're doing everything that's so often they're the ones that, you know, end up just completely, it's not fun anymore, so finding what's fun and what's doable and again incorporating those group fun rides and stuff and it might just mean 30 minutes extra before your group fun ride and that's you know that's the overload for the first month as you're just riding a little extra beforehand yeah i think the other thing that this reminded me of is yesterday when we were talking and i was complaining about you know wanting more time off you asked me if i wanted to do iron man and do it well or not the answer was obviously yes I do want to do it well so just kind of always coming back to why you want to do intervals or volume because Mm -hmm. I think some of the time the answer is just like oh I don't actually need to be doing this like why am I yeah with the classic like I want to lose five pounds like there's there's got to be a reason yeah and never just say you want to lose five pounds that's a really arbitrary stupid number at least go for something interesting, like seven and a half or something. I feel like that's... Well, that would make more sense, right? Like you should have, in the case of like a power to weight or something, you know, you would have a number. Because, yeah. You know, you should be able to correlate that to a certain performance, perhaps. Mm-hmm. And then so you can increase your power or you can decrease your weight slightly. Um, and again, that should be correlated... You know, or a cross-reference to, you know, do you have body weight to lose? Do you have body fat to lose? Yeah, I'd say 90% of the, sorry, but 90% of the women I know, and I actually in cycling, so, and 95% of the men I know, um, if you ask them if they want to lose weight, most of them would say yes, and most of them would say between, like, 5 pounds or 10 pounds. 
And if you ask how they got that number, most of them wouldn't really even have an idea or actually know how much they weigh right now, come to think of it. Yeah, it was interesting. Like, I was just, there's like a standard sort of inches, so how tall you are, um, and then pounds per inch, basically. So they have that for different sports, and so they were the thing I was reading was looking at Ironman versus Olympic triathlon. So Olympic triathletes tend to be like two to three, I believe it was two to three pounds for like a standard male. Um, lighter, I think it was pounds, not the pounds per. We'll inch. have to link to this chart just so. Yeah, it's sort of complicated, but basically there's a a standard range um, for cycling and swimmers and triathletes of both types again the olympic and the longer ironman um and it's they're not it's not that light really no. like in the grand scheme of things and certainly that's what i realized probably five years ago now was just i was way too light for mountain biking and had to come to terms with that and yeah all that... of a sudden i wasn't getting injured and sick all the time and you know i had better sprint power and i still climb relatively well i'm still on the light side of Things, so yeah you're still tiny matt fitzgerald also has uh that whole kind of section in racing weight about different sports and rough body fat compositions for most of them mm. on average uh, which yeah. is super interesting i mean it's not body fat's good the interesting thing about the inch or what was it pounds, uh, per, pounds inch. per inch is that you don't need like it's literally how tall are you in inches yeah and then you get like two pounds per inch or something. That doesn't make sense, but no, that sounds terrible. Maybe it was three or four or something, four or five. I think a lot of people go with this weird arbitrary thing that I believe was in like Seventeen magazine in like nineteen ninety five, maybe. I remember reading it in a bunch of like young adult novels, and I think a lot of women keep this in their heads, where if you're five feet, you should be a hundred pounds, and for every inch after it, it's five pounds. And it's such a, like, random, arbitrary measurement. But a, a lot of people in my generation, that's kind of what we grew up hearing from, like, fashion magazines. And I think that's what we tend to strive for, no matter how incorrect that is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's easy to use those norms, um, you know, that are taken off of a population and, and to then erroneously apply them to yourself as gospel. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean on paper like I shouldn't be that good of a mountain biker like I don't have like my power curve is very flat I don't have a great sprint um but you know you just you, you have certain strengths and you will do better in certain events but yeah I mean the again it's sort of the difference between a population average and who you actually are as a person right yeah there's always a lot of factors that go into a performance other than your body weight yeah we got off on a bit of a tangent there, but I think that kind of led nicely into the next question, which is, uh, what is my threshold? And you got asked this a couple times, even at the camp. Yeah, it's sort of a common question in cycling, especially as power meters become more popular. Um, so when someone asks about their threshold, they're usually talking about functional threshold power. Um, certainly you could do a threshold heart rate, you could do lactate threshold, you could do anything. And it's really just describing a point where your performance, at least the functional threshold, is trying to s describe a point where the your performance sort of plateaus and then starts to decline. It's sort of time limited. So at that threshold wattage, you can only perform at that wattage for a certain amount of time. And so 
there was been a time in the, the power world, cycling power, where it was thought, okay, that that would be a 60 minute. And so this got sort of communicated somehow that it was always 60 minutes and that was your threshold. But if we back up, the actual point of the, the threshold power was to sort of predict a, a, a wattage and, and a time that you could hold a performance. And to think, again, getting to my power curve being very flat and within my sprint, to think that I would have the same time on that threshold or near that threshold as someone who has a really good sprint but not you know they're good at going for a minute but not good for like an hour or six hours to think that they would last as long a threshold as I would doesn't really make sense um, so I'm much better at riding threshold than like a sprinter would be is the way to think about that mm -hmm. so your threshold not to get overly complicated but it's not necessarily 60 minutes or 20 minutes which is another misconception and the reason that matters is because a lot of zones are based off of threshold so you can certainly take your 20 minute and use five percent of that or, or whatever percentage you want and that you know it's going to estimate roughly that it should be something under that um, under that 20 minute power certainly um, you just want to be careful if you're failing then subsequently at your interval. So you're going to go do a 3 by 10 minute interval set and you're going to ride at threshold or just under threshold. You need to be careful that you're not setting it as your 20 minute power, which is what a lot of people, especially in like Suffer Fest land and stuff, misinterpret that they're setting their FTP as their 20 minute power because that's what the FTP test in something like a Sufferfest, which don't quote me that Sufferfest uses that, but most com compu trainer, you know, trainer things uh, online are gonna use a 20 minute FTP test, which is a way to estimate FTP. But then if you base zones off of that that aren't meant to be based off of a 20 minute power, then your zones will be too high. So if you're having trouble completing a workout, likely you've set your threshold too high. And certainly as the software uh, develops, there's WKO is a software developed by the makers of Training Peaks, um, and it's starting to do a lot more advanced mathematics and, and sort of taking all your data and predicting sort of your, your peak powers for different durations, including that threshold. And so you're seeing it much more, it's much easier now to, to, to predict that. But I think, again, for the lay person, the important takeaway is that it's not necessarily a 60-minute power or a 20-minute power, but it is somewhere in between. And to just be careful that you're not setting your threshold high just for, like, your ego, because that will then end up equaling not finishing workouts, which is much worse for your ego and much worse for your training. Yeah. Okay, one follow-up question to that. So, for example, I'll use myself here, between running, mountain biking, and road riding. So on the road bike, I have power, but I don't have it on the mountain bike. So how do I kind of reconcile doing threshold workouts on the mountain bike versus on the road? Well, you wouldn't necessarily do threshold workouts on a mountain bike per se like a mountain biking certainly if you had like a long pass you could do like a threshold interval you could do a 10 minutes at threshold um, but usually mountain bike tends to be more variable so it's harder to do something like that which is a threshold interval would be also called a muscular endurance workout because you're sort of seated 
and grinding away, usually at sort of a moderate RPM for an extended period of time. So muscular endurance means working at a moderate load for an extended period of time. So certainly what you could do with mountain bike is you could take heart rate would be the most logical if you don't have power on your mountain bike in a steady grade and you could ride within a heart rate range and again you'll see different ways where that gets calculated but essentially whatever you're using whatever test you're using to th do your threshold say your 20 minute or 30 minute TT the heart rate you have for that or perhaps for a cyclocross race is probably a good estimate again heart rates you're gonna always use a percentage so it's not such a big deal um, but usually that's around sort of that sustainable, that max sustainable maybe you might call it, or that threshold heart rate. And so what you could do is just use a percentage off of that. So often I'll use 85 to 90% of max heart rate or, you know, within say 5% of that threshold heart rate. Um, so you could certainly do that. Um, and then often a mountain bike, I will just use TTs. So you'll just try and cover the same ground either that's on a loop, so a mountain bike TT on a race course, or if you're just going up a climb for you know over eight minutes uh, to be a threshold interval usually, um, then you would just try and cover that ground sort of hard and be breathing hard and try and stay seated mm -hmm. as much as you can. So I, I think my, my short answer would be that typically you would do like focus threshold work on the, on the road bike. Um, for running, you could certainly do threshold work as well, and that would be more like your 5 and 10K type paces. So you would go off pace if you were road running. Perfect. All right. Uh, reader question or listener question here. I'm so used to writing. Um, all right. We have two young kids, and I work in a school. So during the Ontario winter, uh, the cold and bugs and viruses fly, making it hard to maintain momentum. I'm never quite sure when it's time to get back to running and cycling after a bug, and I often wonder whether it's worth doing anything active when sick. Is it best to do a bit of something or just come home and lie on the sofa? Thanks for the show. I learn a lot, and the dog likes the extra walks he gets when I'm listening. Cheers, Nick. Well, bonus points for listening while you're walking. That's... With a dog! You hear that, Peter? I don't know about the dog, but I'll give you bonus points for the walk. Um, yeah, so I think a few things. I wanted to just speak a bit to immunity. So we want to make sure that our training is not so crazy, like we're not ramping back really hard or just like, you know, binge drink. Oh, excuse me. Um, we're not, I, my kombucha has come back. Um, we don't want to be binge training so that our immunity, uh, our immune system is sort of depressed. So there's certainly times in training that we would, would be pushing our limits. But again, as a, as you know, a father who's, you know, working and that sort of stuff, there's a lot of stress from, you know, we'll call it all cause stress or life stress um, outside of training. You're not, you know, an elite athlete that can live in a bubble and, you know, sort of stay away from a lot of that stuff. That's just reality. Like the kids are going to school and you can only control that so much. Um, so, so making sure that you're not going too deep on training again, what we are, I always say like, you know, we could do that, like crush your five hour workout just cause we have time. But what if you just were happy with, you know, eight hours a week, consistent eight hours a week, keep those like threshold workouts, just bumping up a little bit every time, you know, the weight workouts, you're just adding that, you know, three pounds or, you know, a couple percent every, every time. And just gradual, steady progress, very conservative, but steady progress. You know, I have good recovery. And then we stack on top of that good sleep. So trying to get into bed and not binge watching shows too much. Um, 
you know, and then good nutrition on top of that is going to be helpful. So making sure we have lots of vegetables and lots and lots of protein, um, just so that you're covering that base. Certainly protein is going to be helpful with that. Um, and whether that's coming from like a whey protein, if you're going to have trouble getting that in post-workout or during the day because work's busy and you're taking kids to sports and stuff, like certainly that's where supplements are well indicated is when it's just not going to happen otherwise. Um, you know, ideally we'd all like to have our, our five-star omelets in the morning and, you know, grass-fed beef at every meal afterwards and that sort of stuff. But do what you got to do. Um, and then you could also certainly look at, you know, I, I take zinc lozenges and that's pretty common. I don't know if it's necessarily always supported in the literature, but at the sort of first sign of a cold. Um, a lot of the kids who are living with swear by the emergency. Yes, emergency is what all the kids go by. So, I mean, certainly that's been a wise tale forever. You know, you can grab an orange and a red pepper and, and call that vitamin C too. Um, and again, just try and do that. And I think the big thing, my, my secret is just to try and wash your hands with soap as much as you can. So whenever you're home from the grocery store, whenever you're back from work, you know, certainly in the washroom, um, and try and encourage the kids to do that too, as much as you can when they get back from school so that that stuff gets sort of stopped at the door. It's um, a really lame secret. It's a lame secret, but honestly, like, I think that's, that's a big part of it. Absolutely. Uh, I'm trying to think. Well, so, the actual question, though. When should you get back? So I actually just did an article on this and talked to a couple of coaches about... Uh, when to resume. When to resume, yeah. And the uh, the running and triathlon coach I talked to both stuck with the, uh, the old coach's tale, I guess, of um, if it's in neck, your head... Neck yep, yep. So if it's in your head, feel free to proceed. Uh, but if it's kind of below your... In your throat and down that's when you kind of keep on the couch yeah that's sort of like a vague rule but i think what that means is if like you feel like garbage basically or you have a sore throat or you know you're really coughing up like dirty phlegm um then that's that's probably a good sign that your body's hurting like you can tell like if you're if you're energetic and just all that's your nose is running like i would get a neti pot and try blowing out sinuses with one of those neti pots mm -hmm. i've had good success with that and if you feel completely normal after using that neti pot then proceed but if you're you know still feeling really lethargic and you know the your sinuses are back filled instantly and you still have a sore throat then that's that's a no-go for sure yeah i think another good thing is just thinking about like do you actually want to train or do you feel guilty about not training I think it's kind of a good metric for sort of knowing your body and knowing if it's... I mean, that, I would go with the, the athlete too, right? You're going to have certain people who are just motivated and, that, you know, hungry. They have a strong why, you know, and they could be wanting to qualify for something, right? So, I mean, certainly they're going to push it to get back. But the question is, when do you push it, you know, and how do you ramp back? And I have a, a few clients actually offer it now. And what I've just given them is, you know, we do 30-minute spin and then, you know, sort of similar to a concussion protocol in a lot of ways, you know, can you mm -hmm. function in your day and have energy and sleep well and, you know, not feel like, a, a, you know, you're sick? And then, yes, okay, perfect. Well, let's ramp that up. Let's get a 30, 60-minute spin. Just easy. Don't push the limits. Don't test the legs. Do you feel like a normal person or do you just feel worse and, like, knackered and you didn't sleep because you rode and, like, completely exhausted yourself? Right? Or is it, like, all oh, the watts come easy, the legs are moving? And then if that 30 to 60-minute goes well... And we'll just do, you know, a fairly normal workout. But again, don't push the limits. Just get it in the in the bag. So 
you know, if you've been doing threshold, we'll maybe drop the wattage down a little, maybe do one less rep, you know, maybe shorten the duration a little bit. Um, and again, just get that in the bank. And then if that all goes well, and again, you sleep well, you recover from it, then, you know, full gas, we return to training. And so, you know, you're still moving for those two or three days, but you're easing back in and just making sure that you're actually out the other side and you're not, again, depressing that immune system. And, mm -hmm. you know. There's no hard man award. No, and the lost days just aren't worth it, right? And like a cruddy workout or, you know, it's just, it's just not worth it. Absolutely. All right, next thing. Nutrition changes. So if someone wants to change their diet, clean it up, where do you start? And you run into this a fair bit with clients. I run into it, you know, giving book talks a bunch. Yeah, I mean, I think we talked a bit to this already. I'm just trying to think if I have anything to add. Vegetables. <laughs> yeah, again, I think I'd, I'd like to see what people are doing already and then just tweak that. So, I mean, you look for the sort of easy substitutes. So, you know, with my dad, it was, we do just whey protein. He refused to have breakfast and he just wants to get out the door and, you know, he's on his Blackberry and working and working and... So we started with whey protein and gradually he was a little bit more open to having, you know, eggs if he wasn't in quite as big a rush, but at least he's putting something in and getting some protein in in the morning. Um, and for other people, it's, you know, simple. They're already having eggs or something like that. Then you can add, okay, can you just put some frozen spinach in the corner there, let it cook? You know, it's in some coconut oil or something and, you, you know, it's two mouthfuls and you have a big bunch of spinach that you've already got vegetables into your diet for that day i will say one slice of bacon makes an entire bag of kale so much more palatable yeah and so that's sort of our standard is sort of we each have a couple eggs and then you know there's maybe a, there could be a range of bacon between one slice and one pound depending on how i've never done the pound how crazy i'm going um, but then always with a ton of vegetable matter in there, just let it soak down. And then of course, some sweet potatoes in there as well, usually. Um, so that's sort of our usual breakfast is just to try and, uh, green onions are another one I really like. Um, Molly's not as fond of green onions, but they're, they're, they're okay if you would put them in the eggs. Peter has a <laughs> habit of just like throwing everything into the pan while I like my, uh, sectioned off plate. My mother, if she's listening to this, is just cracking up right now because I was definitely the kid that kept like the child's plate with like the separations on it way longer than she should have. Yeah, and the, from there, I mean, the easy ones to change are things like, you know, liquid calories, milk at dinner, that sort of stuff. We try and cut that out generally uh, if people are trying to lose weight usually. I hate to say it, but dropping the dropping the booze. I did dry January, and I was not expecting to have such a response to it. I guess. What was your response? I slept better. I felt better. Like I, and it's not even like I'm a booze hound. Like I was like a glass or two, mm -hmm. sometimes two of wine, on a nightly basis. But I never really went above that. And I was amazed at what cutting it out felt like. My HRV really improved, even mm -hmm. though I was in a really stressful, like, travel-heavy month. A lot of my executive clients are definitely in that boat, and so we've worked, you know, again, for them. You know, these are usually bigger guys, too, and so, you know, can we trim that back down to one glass of wine? Or even the timing, and the nutrient timing is a whole other story. 
people only think about the, the foods they can or can't eat. But often it's the timing too. So, you know, you can also, if people don't really want to tweak what they eat, um, you know, if you have that, you know, even if it's two beers or two glasses of wine and you have it, you know, much earlier in the evenings, you know, let's say before seven o'clock, you're going to be in bed for 10. That's way different than like having a nightcap at 10 p.m. Totally. Um, you know, and even before dinner would be better. And again, trimming that down and having days without the, the alcohol, especially so you can see, oh, wow, I slept way better. My workout went way better. Well, then oh, now you have a why for mm-hmm. why you're not going to have the, the delicious wine, right? Um, but similarly, you know, if we have a bunch of treats or something, can we, this is something from Molly's book even, is can we move those treats during or after, you know, a big bike workout? So then it's not, you're not cutting out your, your muffin or your, whatever it is, your cookie, but you're having it during a time when those carbohydrates are coming in anyhow. And so that actually probably could supplant some of the sugar gels and stuff Mm -hmm. too, for a lot of workouts. And so you've actually now trimmed out some sugar from the diet and they probably, you know, you wouldn't even notice. Um, and so, you know, putting those carbohydrates, those dense sort of grains and stuff or during or after, or just before a, a workout can be vastly different than just throwing that in you know just having oatmeal with breakfast even though you're not training for 10 hours or six hours till after that right totally the nutrient timing is is another piece that you know you can play with without too much emotional distress yeah for sure so yeah start small you don't need to yeah do the uh, one thing you don't need to do the whole 30 starting tomorrow if you're like a sugar fiend now for some people that might work, but I think for most of us, and I definitely include myself in this, that's just a recipe for being a miserable human being. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, last question here. Um, intervals on hills. So just kind of the pros and cons of doing, you know, any slash all of your intervals on hills. Yeah, a lot of times athletes will, you know, especially if they have access to the hill, they'll, they'll want these like perfect intervals you know, on a, a hill with a perfect grade and steady grade and no downhills, no preferably, false flats. Preferably one where they can get the Strava. You know, smooth pavement. Um, and I think that it's worth exploring some variety in that. You know, certainly there's a time where, you know, we talked about Molly and her Hell Hill and she did it twice so she could compare the distance. Again, that's sort of an analog to... Uh, to power is that you can cover the same distance on the you know in the same day so obviously the surface and the wind is this pretty much the same because um, we're not looking at that performance metric but it, it's worth exploring different hills you know doing that same similar effort but then the, the bigger issue I think that I see with some people is every interval is on a hill so every recovery is essentially coasting and you want to be careful with that because that means that you're not producing any power in between. And if you look at a lot of studies that are done on different interval sets, um, and even just how you race, if you want to use the practical example, rarely do you get to coast you know, completely in between and not work between efforts. Um, in the case of a VO2 or a threshold interval, we're concerned about keeping that sort of VO2 activation or how long can we spend at VO2 max, at the power at VO2 max, the output. So we're going to consume the most amount of oxygen we can. And if we let our heart rate and that VO2, the oxygen demand, drop while we're descending, 
it takes longer to get back and then we don't spend as much time at VO2 max. So the training response is potentially less even though you're doing the perfect quote-unquote interval. You're missing some of the benefit potentially by not you know, keeping a bit of output in between. And it so might now, be very light. It might be half of what you're doing in the interval. Yeah. So just thinking about that, what about would it help if you're doing a VO max interval if you come down the hill and then there's flat at the bottom of the hill, hitting that to raise your heart rate a bit before you go back up the hill? Yeah, that's certainly, you know, on a shorter VO2 max uh, interval, you could certainly get down in time to, you know, take the last minute or two of your your interval, of your recovery interval and, and sort of spin. And again, your heart rate would come back up and be, be closer to that sort of, call it 65, 70% of max so that you can then raise it up into you know, the 90s, mm-hmm. um, 90% of max, so. But I think you're totally right about racing. I mean, if you think about cyclocross even, I mean, sure, there's, like, short, punchy climbs, but very rarely are you going to get, like, a. I mean, you literally will never get a 10-minute climbing cross because you have a 10-minute lap, and right. you have to go downhill at some point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so just not expecting because hills are almost easier for intervals i think well, they, in a lot they are. of ways they, you just have to pedal for sure you don't have to coordinate as much well you just um, don't have to think about so it right it will be less so i mean you, or for most people it will be less um and, and that's just the nature of it but if you practice it you do get better at it um and most people can hit what they need to um but that's not to say you couldn't do it on a, a more gradual hill or you know, even a very long hill, you could continue climbing the hill rather mm-hmm. than going back down, right? So if you ha- are lucky enough to have a 20-minute hill, you probably can do most of your recoveries just soft-pedaling up. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would practice shifting, and you'd get a range of cadences out of that as well. Um, and, and again, this doesn't have to be every day. Certainly those VO2 hill intervals are great, and you know, take full recovery in between is fine. But just, just sort of thinking outside the box that you know, you don't always need a hill. So if you don't have one, it's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, And there is a benefit again for that lactate clearance or keeping just that that VO2 max activation. Absolutely. All right, I think we're gonna end on that note because hopefully our young young men that we're sharing a house with have finished making us dinner. Yes. (laughs) This will be the first time I've gotten to be out of the kitchen since we got here a week ago. I'm a little nervous. We're making chicken, so I feel like this can go sideways really easily. Mm -hmm. Um, Hopefully they listen to this and get really upset with me. Yes. All right. Thank you for listening. Again, if you have any ideas for episodes or guests, please shoot them our way and check out consummateathlete.com for more information about the show. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Uh, To check out all of the show notes for this episode, you can head over to consummateathlete.com and we would love to hear from you about what you thought about the podcast. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Molly J. Herford and at Peter Glassford. And we would also love it if you would pop over to iTunes and subscribe to the podcast so you can tell every time a new episode, a new sport comes out. And if you would leave us a review, let us know how you're, how you're liking it, how we're doing, if there's anything you'd like to hear more of, that would be amazing. And you can find us over on Facebook now, uh, facebook.com backslash consummate athlete. Thanks again for tuning in, and we will see you next time.